We're in the book of Mark, Mark 7. We've been in Mark for almost, uh, we're going to be in it a year at the end of this year, so many months. And we've gone through nice and slow, and we've looked at this person that has come, and that's doing these miracles, doing these things that as we read them, we're like, our minds are blown. We don't understand how this could be true. And yet, there's a gift that God has given us. Because otherwise, this, is, this book becomes this beautiful work of fiction. But if God has given us the gift of faith, like we talked about last week with the, the Syrophoenician woman who comes to get a healing from Jesus, and Jesus' response, because of her persistence and her pressing in, is you have great faith. But today, we might not have great faith, but we have some faith. And if we read this word and we believe it to be true, we do so by faith. So when we look at Jesus today, we look at him through the eyes of faith. To say, God, I, I don't know how this can be true, but I believe it is. And even the, even the doubts I have, God, would you by the power of your spirit be working in those doubts to give me a belief and a faith and a trust that you are good, that you are in control, that you are holy and righteous. And so even when you, when you call out my sin, you immediately follow that with, and I've paid for that sin. Listen, the worst thing that we could hear today is only half of the truth. <laughs> that we are sinners. If that's all we get today, then we're going to walk out of here, and we're either going to try really hard to fix ourselves, or we're just going to go out of here dejected and beat down. And neither one of those things is what the gospel gives us. The gospel gives us that truth, but then it gives us a better truth behind it. That this Jesus, this God-man that we're reading about, has come and he has laid down his life for sinners like you and I. That we could be made holy. That we now have a value outside of our works, outside of our thoughts. We have a value because he has said, you are worthy of my sacrifice. And so that's where we... That's what we have to go with today. And so let's get there together. Let's get there as we look at this passage and say, what in the, how did, what's going on here? Besides like this wacky, almost wet willy situation that you read about, what is going on in this passage? Have you ever um, been in a conversation and felt like, in that conversation, you and the other person are talking, and neither one of you is hearing the other one. And so then maybe you try, to, you, you try really hard to speak differently so that they would understand. Let me reframe my words. Let me rephrase this. Let me try to get you to understand. Hold on. Let me draw a picture. Maybe that'll help. Maybe some, some diagrams would help. Anybody been there? I, I mean, I'm there almost all the time, especially when I'm up here, I'm trying to like relay stuff to you, and I hope so much that you would get it, and I'm like, man, I don't have the words, I can't put into words, and thankfully God has, that's the beauty of it, all right, but we've all been there, and we know that that's a frustrating place, have you ever, so that's just communication, but have you ever wanted to understand something, but no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't seem to grasp it? Have we been there? Like maybe you've been in school and the teacher's telling you something and you've tried really hard to understand it and you just can't grasp it. That leads to a place of, of fr frustration for sure and probably like deep sorrow and brokenness. 
The inability to communicate. God's created us for relationship. He's created us to be, first and foremost, in relationship with Him. And He's created us to be in relationship with each other. He's designed it that way. And yet, there's a brokenness that we experience when we can't communicate and we can't hear each other and we can't talk to each other. We all know that feeling. Like Now we've got it in our head. Now, this man, he can't hear. He can't speak. He can't communicate with anyone. This is the man that Jesus is coming to today. And let's look and see how Jesus engages that man. Because while he is fully God, he is divine, he is also fully human. And so there's an aspect of this that we can empathize with and then we can go out with and say, you know what? There are so many people that cannot hear and cannot understand and can't speak and communicate. And Jesus came and He gave them the gift of the ability to to hear, to speak, to have their ears opened and their tongues loosened so that they would be able to to live in, in relationship with others. Maybe today you have relationships that are broken and it, maybe it's not even a communication thing, but you're asking God and you're like, God, would you do a restoration? Would you do something and change something because we need it, because we're desperate for it? And you ask God to do that. And what we're going to see is that God is faithful. Maybe not in our timing. And I, I, love, I love the way God works in, in the service and, and how we, we tell the same story. Like we have to trust that God's timing is perfect. That He is in control of every situation. And yet we long for those things. Like yet we long for wholeness. We long to be complete. And so this morning we're going to look and we're going to see Jesus interact with this man who is both deaf and dumb. Let's pray. God, we thank you. You are too kind to us. From last week, the crumbs that would fall from your table are sufficient and overflowing. And yet, not only that, but you've invited us as sons and daughters to the table. And you've laid it out before us and you've said, come and partake, come and eat. Come and eat a a, a meal that you did not purchase, that you did not work for. A meal of grace, a meal of goodness that I am giving you freely. So today, Lord, we pray that we would do that. We also pray that like the man who is deaf, who has a speech impediment and can't communicate, Lord, that you would give us physical hearing today, the ability to hear the word, to not be distracted, but to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, that you would give me the ability to communicate some of that today, the stammering tongue. God, and, and even as we, as we see that circumstantial evidence of what you're doing, I pray that we would also trust and believe that you have done a spiritual work that is even more in-depth and more whole and more complete than we can imagine, Lord. That you have given us spiritual ears to see, eyes, spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear and a voice to proclaim your goodness. And that we would leave here with that voice, with that on our hearts to give to a dying world that needs to hear it desperately. Lord, we ask these things in your name, and we thank you that we can pray with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in Mark.
chapter 7. We're going to look at the first two verses. This is kind of just setting the tone for where we're going to be today. Remember, if, if you remember last week, Jesus has begun this, uh, this, this route out of, from the Sea of Galilee up to Tyre, which is over on the Mediterranean Sea, and now he's going to go to Sidon, and then he's going to come back to the Decapolis, which is these ten cities um, that, are, that, are, that are well known during that time. And while we think, oh, Jesus is just kind of wandering, going about his business, we also remember that one of the things, one of the reasons he left that area is because they were beginning to gather in droves. And their gathering was not to hear a Messiah who has come speaking of a spiritual kingdom, but they wanted a king that was going to overthrow the government. And they were demanding that. And so Jesus, knowing that that's not what he has come to do, he has come to, to, to usher in the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom, which is going to last longer than Rome. It's going to last etern- for eternity. And so Jesus doesn't want to get caught up in that. And so some, many scholars think that he goes on this expedition. One of the reasons that he goes is because he's getting away from those crowds that would want to put him on a throne. But what we know, having the fullness of the gospel, is that this is where Jesus is actually going to the Gentiles. This is where Jesus is going to a people who, by all accounts, do not deserve his attention. And yet he's going to them. And last week we talked about this this woman who she had nothing to stand on that would allow her to approach Jesus. And yet she did anyways by faith. And that faith is what has saved her daughter and what is saving her. And so today we come the same way. With absolutely no ground of our own to stand on. We come in faith. Trusting that God is good. That He is kind. That he's, he's working all of these things for His glory and our good. And so, Jesus is going through Tyre and Sidon, the Decapolis. Many people think that this, this uh, travel is about 120 miles. That's crazy. That's a, like, they didn't drive it. They've walked it. <laughs> okay? So, before you start thinking, yeah, I can, get, I can get down to Miami pretty easy, you know? No, like, Walk. And then tell me how easy it is, right? So Jesus isn't, he's not just, you know, meandering through. He's, there's an intentionality in what he's doing. He's going to these places that were known for being outside of God's provision in the Old Testament. And now he's saying, hey, listen, I'm bringing you in. A people that were not a people. First I'm going to the Jews, and then I'm going to the Gentiles. This is a full gospel. This is a gospel that is good news to all men. And so he goes there. And as he comes back, uh, we have it in the passage that he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. So he's back kind of where he started, uh, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. Often that laying on of hands is, is, uh, is for healing. That's the way healings uh, were believed to, to take place. But also blessings were believed to take place. And so this man was in need. He was in great need. Such need that his friends would bring him to this rabbi who they had heard could meet needs. And so they bring this man. And he ha- he's deaf and he has a speech impediment. Listen, that, I-, I get a little intellectual here. Um, 
This word, let me, let me get it right, mogilalos, for death and having a speech impediment. Okay, that's a Greek word. We, we, the, the original uh, Gospel of Mark was written in Greek. That was the, the language that was spoken in the time. And so that's the word that's used here. It's only used one other place in Scripture. And so when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, and, and that, what we have there is called the Septuagint, in that text, this word is used one other time. And it's in Isaiah 35. So I'm just going to invite you, if you can, turn to Isaiah 35 with me. And we're going to read it together. If you, if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'm going to read it out loud so you don't even have to. But if you want to, know that that's where it's at. Isaiah 35. This word, mogilalos, is going to be key for where we're going today. Isaiah 35 says this, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Listen, if you have been reading Isaiah and you got to this passage, you would be like, man, this is taking a turn because the, the previous four chapters are all about the desolation. It's all a pronouncement of judgment against the people of Israel because they had, they had wandered off. They had served other gods. They had chased other things than this holy God who created and who is in control. They had searched for fame. They had searched for ease, for comfort. They had searched for control of things that, that God had said He was in control of. And so there's this declaration of judgment against Israel in, verses, in chapters 31 through 34. But come to ver chapter 35, and we read and we're like, the wilderness, this wilderness that He's been describing that is this barren people Israel, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. So there's this, there's this turn that's taking place. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. There's an appointed time for judgment for Israel. But there's also an appointed time when God would come and redeem that judged people, that judged people that, that deserve wrath and punishment. God is, Himself is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you from the wrath that, that I'm also pouring out. Like, that's crazy. God, you can't be both the God, God of wrath and mercy. The God of righteousness and grace. And yet, what we're given in Scripture is that that is true. And so if we only come to Him one way, either as a righteous, judging, wrathful God, or we come to Him solely in His mercy and grace, we miss out on the beautiful picture that is painted for us in Scripture. We have an all-encompassing God. We have a God that we cannot fathom, just as Job is saying, you are God and I am not, and I don't understand, but I believe and I trust in what you say. This is what Isaiah is saying. Verses 5 and 6, this is where we're going to get our word. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Man, that's beautiful. The fact that, that there, is, there is a judgment, and yet there is a redemption that will happen even out of that judgment. Verses 5 and 6 say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's where we get our word. That word, mogilalos, is the same word that we're going to see that this man is coming to Jesus as. He's coming to Jesus with his ears stopped up and a stammering tongue. And then we have this, like, picture yourself. Put yourself in the readers of this good news, this, this gospel message. And they're hearing, they know the Old Testament Scripture. They know Isaiah's prophecy that there's going to be death and there's going to be mute. And then they begin to see Jesus who comes to this deaf man and this mute man. And what does He do? What does He do? Let's read it together. Back in Mark 7, verses 33 and 34. And taking Him aside from the crowd privately... He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. <clears throat> All of that seems really weird. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like those, if you like Harry Potter, and I'll be the first to confess, right? Like, the, you have to wave the wand right, you have to say the right words, and, and so now you start to begin to think, like, this putting the fingers in the ears, the spitting, the touching, and then ephatha, which is a word that we don't know. It's a real word. It's not a made-up word. It's Aramaic, right? So that's Jesus' real, his, his natural language that he spoke. Mark interprets it for his uh, hearers who would be hearing this probably in Hebrew or in Greek. And so he interprets it for them. But listen, this isn't some sort of incantation, This isn't some sort of magical way. You have to do all the right things and then God will do His thing. No. This is Jesus seeing a man who can't speak and who can't understand. And what does He do? He comes and He signs to him. Like if we don't get that, that our God is so merciful that He will meet us in the place and He will overcome whatever barriers it is that is blocking us from hearing Him and He will see us face to face. What, what is it in your life today that is a barrier that's stopping you? Because I, I guarantee that it will not stop Jesus from engaging you, seeing you in this moment, and entering in, in His humanity and in His grace and in His kindness towards you. Whatever it is, it cannot stop Him. I want to take six observations from what we see in this passage. Just looking at these two verses. What do we see? The observations are this. He takes him aside. 
Listen, this man has been uh, the laughing stock. He's been a spectacle. He's maybe, maybe there have been people that are kind, but even, even those people probably have just this incredible pity for this man. And so this man has been a, he's been a spectacle. And what does Jesus do? Instead of making him another spectacle in front of the crowds, he pulls him aside and he meets him in that place. And so all of this is being done off to the side. Now Peter, who we believe was the, the who, who we believe Mark's testimony is pulled from, was probably there with him and watched how this happened. Which is why we have such a detailed account of what takes place here. But it's done off to the side. Like That's the kindness of our God. There are times where he will confront us in front of people so that like, there's accountability. And there's, there's an echoing of, hey, yeah, you need this. But there's also times where he will come to us privately. And he will engage us. And he will say, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, it proves my strength. And so he takes this man off to the side. Just a, like There's so many things that we can learn from Jesus about how to be human, about how to treat each other with love and respect that just seems non-existent these days. And yet we see him, he engages, pulls him off to the side, and then what does he do? To a man who can't hear or speak, he, he touches him and he puts his fingers in his ears to tell him, hey, I'm going to do something here. A, again, like the, the touch piece is huge for us, and we don't, we don't understand it, but it was so ingrained in that culture that you do not touch someone who is unclean. It will make you unclean. And we've watched as Jesus has touched the unclean, and instead of him becoming unclean, they become clean. And so Jesus touches this man, incredible grace and kindness to him. Might be the first time because there's, a, there's also a belief that if you, had a, if you had a handicap or deformity, that somebody in your family sinned and so you were wrong. Somebody was wrong because God doesn't make wrong things. And yet what we're seeing here is this restoration of our sin that has caused this brokenness. And Jesus engages this man and he touches his ears. Listen, he touches his ears. And then he spits, and then he touches his tongue, and then he touches the man's tongue, is what many scholars think might have happened. But, but whatever it is that's happening, Jesus is getting his attention to say, I know that you can't hear. I see you in your weakness and in your brokenness and in your vulnerability, and I'm here with you in this moment. And he and touch, tongue to, touch his tongue and then touch his tongue is like this incredible intimacy to say, hey, I know, and you can't speak, and that's got to be frustrating. It's got to hurt. Jesus comes in and he meets that man in his need and he empathizes with him. And then he looks up to heaven. See, Jesus wants this man to know that the the help that he's receiving, the change that is going to take place, the miracle that is about to happen comes from God himself. He looks up to heaven. We just used it for our, our verbal call to worship. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So he engages this man. He says, listen, there's a help coming. And then there's this deep sigh. Right? We, we, can, we can miss that. In verse, 35, uh, in verse 36, sorry, in verse 34, he says, he looked up to heaven. He sighed. 
Listen, this sigh is a deep, guttural sigh. It's like, man, I know. I know it hurts. I know that all your life has led up to this point, and all you've known is hurt and this crushing. And Jesus meets him in that moment. But there may be another reason that he's sighing, because, listen, this healing doesn't happen, um, it's not free. It's a healing that Jesus has purchased. And in the story, he hasn't purchased it yet, but he knows the truth. He knows what is to come. He knows that he is going to go to the cross and his body will be broken so that this man's can be made whole. And so there's this deep sigh. And then there's the speaking. And, and again, like all of, all of the story that we have, all of Scripture that we have, it all goes together. You don't take it in parts. You take it as a whole. And in Genesis, when God was creating, how did He create? He spoke. He spoke. And when Jesus is healing, He's, he's speaking. He's recreating. He's making whole. And He speaks. And He says, Ephatha, be open." And immediately, the man can hear. I wonder if he even heard the end of that word. You know? Like, wow. Jesus engaged that man in his brokenness, met him in a place and communicated to him. Now, Jesus could have communicated afterwards. He could have done, done the healing and then said, hey, by the way, I recognized your brokenness. I, I prayed to the Father. He, he's healed you. But instead, he met him even before the healing had taken place to meet him in that place. This is the God that we see in Scripture. It's a God who cares more than you and I can imagine. We do not think that we are worthy of that kind of care. And yet if He cares, then He gets to decide who is worthy and who is not worthy. Is it Jews? Is it Gentiles? It's all of them. It's those who have faith. Those who I have given the gift of faith and that they would call me and depend on me and me alone. That's what Christ is saying. And He's meeting this man in that place. Listen, we're going to jump through a couple passages real fast because I just want you to see how this all plays together. The last two verses of this passage say, And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Listen, we've seen that before. We've seen where Jesus has told them not to do something, particularly not to tell everybody what, what he's doing, and they go and do it anyways. It's disobedient, period. Like, we just gotta, we gotta go with that. But then we also have to understand like, that, that these people are going and telling of a God who is great and mighty to save. Um, and then... 37 says, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. Like, underline that, highlight that. <laughs> like, talking about Jesus, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You see, this Jesus is God himself. He is both the Son of Man, which is the, re is the title he uses so many times. He's, he is the human, the perfect human, 
who walks in perfect obedience to the Father, just as Adam was designed to do in the garden, to have perfect relationship with God, Jesus is that man. He walks. He talks to God. He is led by the Spirit of God. He is filled with the Word of God. He walks in perfect relationship. He is fully human. But everything He did, He also did as the Son of God. The fullness of His deity is dwelling in this man. We've gone to Colossians a bunch of times, but in in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen God Himself. And we see in this passage that Jesus brings a wholeness to the broken in His earthly ministry. Right? There's... He's, he's meeting a tangible need in that man's life. A need to hear. A need to be able to communicate. A need for relationship. A need to even be able to proclaim later on what God has done for him. Jesus meets that need. It's a physical, it's an earthly, real need. Jesus met it. But we also know that Jesus has come to meet a spiritual need that is even greater than that physical need. All of Scripture is true that the Messiah has not come just for one person's wholeness. But He has come to make His people whole and for the restoration of all things. Listen to Acts. This is Peter and he's preaching after there was just a healing that took place. A lame man got up, took his bed and ran off. Like he was, it was a healing. And this is after Jesus has ascended. But Acts 3, Peter then preaches after this miracle and he says this, Acts 3, 18-21, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. Listen, Isaiah was a prophet. We read that passage out of Isaiah 35. This, this coming of the one who would restore all things, who would make the deaf be able to hear, who would make the, the stammering tongue be able to plainly speak. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. This is the Jesus, the suffering servant that Mark is clearly portraying for us. This is the Jesus, the one who is restoring all things To be right and whole. This is the Jesus who blots out our sin. Who makes us white as snow. This is the Jesus that Peter is proclaiming. And the Jesus that we see. He says in verse 18 that his Christ would suffer. God had a plan. That instead of our suffering, his son would come and suffer for us. We even read that in Isaiah 35. As you look at it in verses <clears throat> in verse 4, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. How has God saved us? He has poured out His vengeance. The NIV says divine retribution. With His divine retribution, He will come and save you. And you're like, man, how... How is His pouring out His wrath going to save us? That doesn't sound good. That sounds really bad. Tim Keller in his book King's Cross puts it this way. Isaiah says, The Messiah will come to save us with divine retribution. But Jesus isn't smiting people. He's not taking out a sword. He's not taking power. He's giving it away. 
He's not taking over the world. He's serving it. Where's the divine retribution? And the answer is he didn't come to bring divine retribution. He came to bear it. Man. Jesus didn't come to bring a kingdom that would bring the wrath of God. He came to build a kingdom because He bore the wrath of God. Mark 10.45, we've referenced this several times. We're going to get there in like, I don't know, months. But Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Isaiah 35 ends with verses 9 and 10 saying, No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's the kingdom that Jesus has purchased as He has come to bear the retribution that we deserve. How has He done that? Jesus walked perfect righteousness. He was completely obedient to the Father. We don't, we say that a lot, but we don't understand what that means, and it's okay. But what we do need to know is that we need to have faith to believe that that is true. Jesus did not deserve an ounce of God's retribution. He walked perfectly. And so, because He walked perfectly, He then could be the one, the sacrifice that would go in our place receive the retribution and the wrath, the cup of God's wrath that is supposed to be poured out on us, He took it. Where did He take it? He took it at the cross. He walked to the cross knowing that the people that He's coming to save are the ones that are going to kill Him. And if you say, well, yeah, but He was God. He probably didn't suffer that much. That's not true. He was fully human. He suffered every ounce of the retribution that was supposed to be poured out on us. And He did that so that we would not have to suffer that. You see, at the atonement, at the cross, God made us right with Himself by giving Himself for us. We're going to sing nothing but the blood. And when we get to the part where it says, my sins are washed away, right? You, you make me whiter than snow. We have to believe that. Even as thoughts of our own sin and our own unbelief and our own, all that will come flooding back. But you stand in faith and you say, but God, you have paid for that. You took that retribution. You took the payment that I owed for that upon yourself. And now you've given me your righteousness to walk in and I'm going to try to walk in that righteousness and I'm going to fail. And yet you continue like your grace is sufficient. Grace upon grace upon grace. And so this morning we look to Jesus. This man who comes and in his empathy touches a man. Speaks to him in a way that nobody else has taken the time to speak to him. Meets him in his need. Steps into that need with him and then in the fullness of God heals that need. And all of it points to our need. Our great need. Maybe you can hear this morning. 
Maybe you can speak eloquently this morning. Maybe that's not the need that you have. But there are some physical things, some real earthly needs that we have today. And I will tell you that Jesus will meet those needs. He can. And again, He may not meet them in your time. He may not. He may never change the circumstance that you think needs to be changed, but He knows the fullness of it. And so the things that He does is for His glory and our good, and we need to trust and believe that that is true. But what we do know is whether those earthly, temporary needs get met or not, Jesus has done a sufficient, spiritual, eternal work for us today. And we embrace that. We come just as the woman begging, say, God, but I just need a crumb. If I could just have that little bit. We come in the same, the man who can't even speak that. Like, like she was eloquent in the way that she spoke, but this man can't even say that, and yet Jesus met him in his name. So this morning as we come, I pray that God would stir our hearts to believe that to be true. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that today we stand in a long line of people who have seen and know Jesus and we would say, but Jesus does all things well. He saved me. He saved a wretch like me. A man who couldn't hear, who couldn't speak. He's given me ears to hear and eyes to see and words to proclaim His beauty and His glory. God, thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray that by your power, the power of your Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each believer, that changes our hearts, regenerates our hearts to believe, Lord. We thank you for the power of the Spirit that's conforming us and transforming us into your image. We thank you for your word that helps us to know what, what does that image look like? What does that mean that I'm being made to look more like Jesus? Well, I have a picture of Jesus in your word. Lord, help us to be human. People that genuinely love each other. People that genuinely, because of the the work of Christ, can communicate and be in relationship with one another. Lord, would you do that for your glory and our good today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.